Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Today was day 74 of the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings. I'm going to talk about some of the closing submissions and presentations that were made today. There are seven uh, made today and some interesting uh, presentations made. These are uh, not the uh, family representative participants, but mostly uh, interest group participants. But in addition to that, we also heard from Lisa Banfield's lawyer, Jessica Zita, who was down from Toronto. She was supposed to present yesterday, had some travel issues, and so was uh, first thing this morning on, on deck. The presentations were shorter today. Uh, there was uh, time allotted. They didn't tell us how much time was allotted, but you can see there were about 20-minute presentations each by the participants. Uh, starting, like I said, with uh, Jessica Zita on behalf of Lisa Banfield. Now, just a note uh, for a programming note, in a sense, the Mass Casualty Commission is planning to proceed tomorrow, uh, Friday, uh, September 23rd. The hurricane is coming, Hurricane Fiona, but uh, it looks like it's not going to land in Nova Scotia until the evening of uh, Friday the 23rd. So, uh, Hopefully we'll be able to get the proceedings in tomorrow. There's four presentations tomorrow. The BC Civil Liberties Association, the Attorney General of Nova Scotia, the National Police Federation, and the Department of Justice Canada. And should be able to get those done by lunchtime or early afternoon, I would think. And so I don't see any reason now, just based on the forecast, unless that changes dramatically, but everybody's watching the forecast very closely, it would seem. And so uh, they're tracking that and see whether... Uh, there will be any delays tomorrow. I suspect the only real consideration would be people traveling home afterwards. But um, I think if you can get things done in the early afternoon, that'll be fine and we'll proceed tomorrow. I think the commission would certainly, I would hope, be inclined to finish everything this week and just get the presentations done with and uh, move on. Um, they seem to just want to get the presentations done and move on. Uh, as I Mentioned, I think after on the first day of presentations, the commissioners, I mean, obviously they're listening to the presentations and the closing submissions, recommendations, but they're not asking any questions. They're not engaging any of the speakers in any back and forth probing on certain points or anything like that, as you might expect, given the significance of making closing submissions and, uh, you know, the potential significance of those closing submissions turning into recommendations which are going to have to be enacted and uh, supported by the public. So, uh, talk about some of them. So, the, today there was uh, Jessica Zita presenting on behalf of Lisa Banfield. Aaron Breen, a lawyer, was speaking on behalf of the uh, of LEAF and the Avalon Sexual Assault Center. Linda McDonald and uh, Jean Sarson uh, were speaking on behalf of uh, Feminists Against Femicide. Brian Carter spoke on behalf of the RCMP Veterans Association of Nova Scotia. Uh, Charles Thompson uh, spoke on behalf of the Truro Police. And uh, Blair uh, Hagen and Rod Gilkaka spoke on behalf of different uh, firearms uh, advocacy organizations. And then finally, Joanna Bierenbaum spoke on behalf of the Canadian Coalition for Gun Control. So the gun control issues... Those were both uh, virtual in the afternoon. Everything else was in person in the morning. So Jessica Zita was really interesting. I was waiting to hear exactly how she was going to present this. I thought it was interesting that it was her presenting uh, with uh, limited uh, experience and exposure rather than uh, James Lockyer, the 
more well-known lawyer who's the lead lawyer for Lisa Banfield uh, didn't think that it was important enough to come down and make presentations himself so sent an associate along but Nasita did a fine job I'm not saying anything about that but just uh, the perception that the commission uh, isn't important enough perhaps to have the uh, the lead lawyer the big name lawyer at least uh, come down and speak so like I say it was about 20 minutes started off with uh, this was interesting I thought now she started off by saying that Miss Banfield has asked me to start off by expressing my, and I was waiting for her to say, sympathy, um, you know, remorse, uh, some sort of, you know, feelings for the family and the victims, but no. Express gratitude to her sisters, to her other supporters, the many people who have contact, contacted her with supportive messages, and to the Mass Casualty Commission itself, for its trauma-informed approach and its kindness to her. So that was interesting. So started, uh, yeah, like I said, started by asking, uh, by thanking her supporters, not sympathy for others. I was wondering, like, uh, does she think that sympathy might somehow imply acceptance of some degree of blame, uh, which which she does not know. I'm going to come to that in a moment, too. So what Miss uh, Zita said is that their position is that the police failed Nova Scotians and not just at the time of the shootings themselves, but prior to that, and uh, urged some sort of educational recommendation for education on course of control, recognizing course of control, recognizing how to deal with it uh, for police. She talked about the criminal charges that were laid against Miss Banfield. Now, I agree with uh, just about everything that uh, Miss uh, Zita said about this part. The criminal charges, which were a minor charge of supplying ammunition, the police came out and said right away they didn't think that Ms. Banfield knew about or supported uh, what Wartman was doing. But these criminal charges of supplying ammunition re-victimized Ms. Banfield. This was after eight months of, in her mind at least, cooperation with the police. The And her feeling that the police misled Ms. Banfield uh, that she was, and that the police, it wasn't just sort of the, you know, lower level uh, officers that were investigating this. This went up to, uh, you know, Chief Superintendent Chris Leather, who was involved in the discussions. And, you know, there was a, a deceptive practice. Uh, and in uh, certainly in breach of Miss Banfield's charter rights, I watched uh, some of the videos, read the statements, Never was she given her charter rights uh, in an appropriate manner for somebody that was, or should have been at least, uh, considered a suspect in some form, at least early on. Um, but there were unanswered questions throughout. But she was never treated as a suspect in her, in the true sense where you would give someone their rights and advise them that they're uh, under, you know, and under investigation and then investigate them and then everything they say can and will be used against them. So... So what Ms. Zita says is that this practice, so this, you know, in this particularly high-profile case, this is going to have the effect of discouraging other victims from coming forward, and I, I agree with that. This was inappropriate. So she called the investigation both careless and calculated. You know, that Staff Sergeant Vardy, who was doing the statements early on, was very supportive, very kind to Ms. Banfield, and, you know, but was certainly in the back of his mind, at least, uh, doing an investigation without telling her so. 
and then how Miss Banfield volunteered to do the reenactments. Miss Sita says now without her sisters present or without her support network, in other words, present, and that she fully cooperated uh, and that, you know, against perhaps her own interest, fully cooperated up until the point of the criminal charges. And then once the criminal charges were dealt with, then she fully cooperated again. So based on that and just the volume of her her statements and the content of her statements, Ms. Zita says that her evidence, Ms. Banfield's evidence, should be supported and accepted fully. She went on further to say, and this is where I think I, uh, I part ways with uh, Ms. Zita, is that, uh, that she bears no responsibility for what took place, but she feels haunted by it. Okay. Uh, limited responsibility, certainly, but she knew that Wartman had this fake police car. She knew, she was best positioned to know, that he had these uh, illegal firearms, that he had a lot of guns, a lot of ammunition, and that he was deteriorating mentally over the course of uh, the early course of the pandemic. Uh, so no responsibility is uh, taking it a little uh, too far, I think, in this case. What uh, Ms. Zita says is that the police should treat all domestic violence cases as potential homicides and investigate them with that in mind. And if that was the case, we would be here having a different conversation. So uh, that was her uh, that was her presentation. Didn't get into uh, great detail, which you can't do in 20 minutes anyway. But like I say, completely denied any responsibility. Uh, put it back on the police. So certainly uh, she will have, you know, she has some civil claim thoughts in mind as she's making these claims, but this is uh, what she wants the commission to accept. I don't, uh, you know, I don't much doubt that the commission will accept most or all of what uh, Miss Banfield has offered, just given their treatment of her uh, to date. She wasn't cross-examined, um, you know, treated with uh, in the most trauma trauma informed manner one might expect or one might um well i don't know about expect but uh, one one could imagine okay so uh that was that was miss banfield's lawyer i spent more time on that than probably some of the other presentations but that seemed the most significant one although probably i think the better presentation was the next one which was from aaron breen from leaf and avalon miss breen i think has distinguished herself in her limited appearances in this uh, in the commission she went through some of Wartman's history, how as a child he was subjected to abuse uh, throughout his childhood as an adult, uh, assaulted his father, was a violent individual, uh, that he had uh, this course of control discussion. Well, she, he convinced Lisa Banfield to work for him, controlled her finances, abused his, he abused his position of trust with clients, presented himself as a wealthy university-educated professional, in fact, was able to fool in, in Miss Breen's submission Constable Wiley into thinking that he was pro-police. And then in the weeks prior to uh, April 18th, 19th, 2020, his health, mental health was deteriorating. Uh, he had bottomed out and then the violence started. So this was really the first concerted effort, in my mind anyway, to systematically try to link together the domestic violence side to what actually happened with the the violence uh so i thought miss breen did a good job of 
sort of establishing that foundation at least, which others have just sort of glossed over and, and made sort of more conclusory statements instead of doing the work to be thorough and build a case. Now, the other point that I thought Ms. Breen made very well was about cross-border smuggling. We've heard about this, uh, and, you know, she was talking in, in privileged terms about Wartman, but this was, a, she says, a tangible privilege provided by the government candidate, which was his Nexus Pass. Now, how did he get this? He got this in 2015. And so he was able to cross the border as, uh, you know, as a low-risk, trusted individual. But in 2010... The Halifax police made uh, responded to a firearms complaint where Wartman had threatened his father and then entered on the police database a firearms, uh, firearms <laughs> incident police or uh, anyway, a FIP. And so that FIP was on the database for five years. So up to June of 2015. Well, Wartman got his nexus in March of 2015 the entry should have still been on there. The the firearms interest police, sorry, uh, should have should have still been in the database and probably was. But Nexus, uh, the border police don't uh, or border services didn't have access to that database, and so that would have told them that Wartman was not a low risk. And it's un, it's kind of unbelievable that this national uh, database that the police can access would be available, but that you know issues of cross-border security wouldn't be connected to that somehow uh, in an application to make you a, a trusted cross-border uh, traveler. So uh, on the as a recommendation they want to make uh, Avalon and Leaf recommend an end to the pro-arrest, pro-conviction approach to domestic violence and the ban on restorative justice. Restorative justice is available for almost all sort of minor cases, uh, many you know, even serious cases, it's available. It's used more in sort of you know, nonviolent uh, first offender kind of cases. It's not used in domestic violence cases, and that's a policy uh, throughout Nova Scotia. And uh, they say that it should be available. That treatment is often better, and it can resolve the issue rather than looking for convictions, which in the first place discourages people from reporting. And in the second place, just it doesn't solve the problem. It just makes it uh, worse in some ways because, uh, you know, people have to go through the criminal justice system. They get bitter instead of learning their way, learning the error of their ways and getting counseling. And so uh, it doesn't improve things. I think that's a good recommendation. And the next one was uh, the Feminists Against Femicide, uh, which sounded like a radical title, and they um, use kind of, not radical language, but uh, stronger language than others have used. Uh, that's Linda McDonald and Jean Sarson talking about, you know, misogyny needs to be noted throughout the Mass Casualty Report, uh, recommends that femicide be a separate criminal offense, uh, that domestic violence be considered non-state torture so uh, that's probably taking things a little further than I think most people are ready to accept but that was their recommendation as well uh, so that was uh, that was that group Brian Carter from the RCMP Veterans Association of Nova Scotia we've heard him a few times uh, in the discussion of police paraphernalia it was his first time we saw him and uh, he was out again a few weeks ago but 
with the respect to the police uniforms, the red surge, the ceremonial stuff, he says, you know, that don't take that away from retired officers was his plea that that's uh, valued and it's good for officers mental health to still have that connection to the force after they've spent so much time their whole career doing that uh he was talking about policing in nova scotia and the structure of policing and it was interesting because what he in the end came around to he was talking about how expensive it would be to establish your own force but then he was urging the commission to adopt the model that's used in quebec and in finland which are sort of national police forces, Quebec's provincial, but consider, you know, a national force in a sense. And that that's a, the better model and it has different tiers based on population uh, about how things are done and, you know, more training up front before you become an officer and so all these good things. So it seemed to be that he was, he was going in the direction of saying, well, that's, you need to replace the RCMP with that model rather than a U.S. style model where, you know, each jurisdiction is different, each jurisdiction has its own difference, uh, your resourcing level and capabilities, uh, that you want some uniformity and predictability around the jurisdiction. So it seemed like he was talking about a provincial police force, but then he comes out at the end and says, you know, he's worried about political thinking and, you know, the political pressure uh, might affect the decision about uh, policing in Nova Scotia and, uh, you know, have the province do something foolish like remove the RCMP. Well, anyway, I'm not sure that all lined up as well as he may have thought it did, but that was his submission. The next one was uh, the Truro Police, represented by Charles Thompson. Uh, Charles Thompson from Bertram McDougall, which is also the firm where... Um, Steve Topshe and uh, Linda Hupman practice, who are representing the Oliver Tuck family. So um, I don't think anybody else or any other law firms in the Mass Casualty Commission are representing more than one client. So uh, maybe not a direct conflict, but I thought that was unusual to see Mr. Thompson representing the Truro Police. But uh, it was just for the closing submission, so maybe not so much of an issue. Uh, he, his submission on the, their behalf was that they were ready, willing, and able. They had 12 to 15 officers ready to go uh, seize the new RCMP leadership in Nova Scotia as a new opportunity to reset the relationship. Uh, so that's a, that's a positive indication from the Truro Police. Issues of cost recovery for specialized services are going to have to be ironed out. And uh, they, the Truro Police, are recommending that the Mass Casualty Commission recommend a change to the policing model in Nova Scotia that would have regional forces uh, policing different areas, perhaps based on the, uh, you know, I don't know, there's health zones, economic development zones, there's lots of zones in Nova Scotia that have been established for other purposes. Uh, he didn't put it this way, but that would probably be the thinking there. Now, uh, last, uh, so after the afternoon, it was uh, the firearms people. First, it was Blair. Uh, Hogan and Rod Gilkaka talking about how firearms are not really the issue here. He had no legal guns. That is, Wartman had no legal guns. And uh, Gilkaka said that the Fishers, I uh, gave that as an example, the only ones to, sur in their home, survive a direct encounter with the, the gunman, and they had, they had a gun themselves. Now, as he, I think, fairly mentioned... Uh, there's no evidence that Wartman would have known that uh, Fisher had a gun, that Adam Fisher had a gun. 
or that he had it ready to shoot, uh, but he did. And so, in their sense, that's that made things safer, that a, an armed um, homeowner was safer than an unarmed one. Uh, Joanna Bierenbaum for the Canadian Coalition uh, for Gun Control, which was formed after the Polytechnique uh, massacre, said that mass shootings are less frequent in countries with strict gun laws. Talked about how in 2012 the government stopped tracking uh, who owns uh, firearms. Uh, and so uh, the, she encouraged that there be more tracking of guns in Canada. She said how there's really no effective cooperation with the United States in terms of uh, gun tracking. And she urged a what she called a public health approach to firearms. Well, what does that mean? Yeah, well, in her uh, submission, it meant lots more data and rigorous regulations so uh, i know the, the earlier speakers would dispute all of that so uh, we'll see what the commission does with those recommendations uh, firearms access and all that stuff in a sense really wasn't central in other than the cross-border issue which i thought aaron breen covered quite well and uh, you know the nexus pass which really wasn't explored that much in the commission proceedings uh, was the bigger issue. Now, like I said, tomorrow it'll be the BC Civil Liberties Association, Department of Justice uh, Nova Scotia, National Police Federation, and Department of Justice Canada. So I'll uh, wait to hear what they have to say. It'll be interesting submissions. Particularly, actually, I'm waiting to hear what the provincial government of Nova Scotia has to say. Uh, there's, you know, they have the responsibility of policing in Nova Scotia. What do they think should happen now? Uh, that's going to be a big question that hasn't even been, uh, well, it's only been hinted at uh, through uh, DOJ officials, nothing on an official position from the DOJ. So we'll see about that. Until then, okay, it went a little long today. There were seven presentations, though, and some important ones, so uh, uh, lots, lots to cover. Tomorrow will be the last uh, daily... Uh, issue of the Rogers Brief, but uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about how that may continue afterwards, so encourage uh, people to watch tomorrow morning to see what the governments have to say. Everybody stay safe, uh, batten down the hatches and all that good stuff. Thanks for listening, uh, thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time.